This episode of Doing Disney goes to infinity and beyond as we discuss the groundbreaking 1995 Pixar film, Toy Story. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Fix on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to this episode of Doing Disney. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. DVD himself. It's Mike Hanley. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Hey. Start at the beginning. Toy Story, released in 1995 and directed by John Lasseter. The first release for Pixar and fully computer animated feature film. It stars Tom Hanks as Witty, Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear, Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head, Jim Varney as Slinky Dog, Wallace Shawn as Rex, Annie Potts as Bo Peep, and Pixar staple John Ratzenberger as Ham. We start the film with Andy's birthday party, where his toys, led by Sheriff Woody, are listening intently over walkie-talkie to find out if Andy will receive any new toys that could potentially replace them. Just when they think they've got the all clear, Andy's mum gives Andy a Buzz Lightyear toy. Buzz is introduced to Andy's fellow toys, but does not realise he is a toy, still believing himself to be the real Buzz Lightyear, much to Woody's chagrin. We see a montage of Andy's bedroom changing from cowboy western theme, focusing on Woody, to a space theme, focusing on Buzz. When Andy's mum announces a trip to Pizza Planet, Andy is allowed to bring only one toy with him. Woody senses that Buzz will be chosen over him, so plans to use the RC car to incapacitate Buzz in Andy's desk. However, the plan goes awry and Buzz is pushed out the window, with Andy being accused by his fellow toys of trying to kill Buzz due to his jealousy. Andy enters the bedroom and collects Woody to go to Pizza Planet, where on the drive there we find that Buzz has made his way to the car. While at a gas station, the two get into a fight that leaves them stranded, yet they manage to see a Pizza Planet delivery truck and catch a lift to the restaurant to reconnect with Andy. While at the arcade, Buzz spies a huge rocket ship-themed claw game and crawls inside, pursued by Woody. It is here they are picked up by Sid, Andy's neighbour who delights in destroying toys. With the help of the other toys from Sid's room, Woody manages to terrify Sid and free them as they are reunited with Andy as it is the day they are moving house. The film finishes at Christmas time, where Andy's sister Molly receives a Mrs. Potato Head and Andy receives something possibly worse than a toy, a dog. Tale as old as time. What are your first memories of the film? Oh, for Toy Story. So that was 95. So I was, uh, I was, 95 would be, I was eight or seven. I forgot exactly what month it came out. So I was either seven or eight going into the theater with my family. Now, see, what's not really, what I don't really make known about myself is I love animated films, especially the 90s animated films. I grew up watching those and going to the theater to see them. I didn't just go see Goodfellas and Casino as a child. I went to go see Toy Story and Mulan and Aladdin and stuff. So seeing, I remember seeing the preview, uh, like a couple trailers for it on upcoming movies, and I was really excited for it. I'm like, this sounds really cool. And I loved uh, Tom Hanks already, and I loved Tim Allen from Home Improvement. So I was ready for this. And walking in, the, I we went to one of my favorite theaters as a child. It was this theater that kind of like it was an opera theater. It had like the red drapings that pulled up. Like it was like one of those old school classic theaters. And they ended up 
closing it and turning it into a church <laughs> like uh, 15 oh. years ago. And I went, man, why did you do that to my favorite theater of all time? Like I saw Jurassic Park. I saw all those there. So going in there to see Toy Story, it was so amazing. I, I just remember being enthralled in my seat, just watching it go through the story and loving every second of it. I was so excited for him. When it ended, all I wanted to do is get a Woody doll, get a Buzz Lightyear, actually get all those and just go see it again. At the time, did you realize it was really making that jump for 3D animation? I definitely saw the differences from seeing like going from like Aladdin and Lion King stuff and then going from Toy Story and seeing that jump. It definitely looked a lot brighter and more like computer generated, like you can tell. And for being at the first Pixar film, feature length film, it was amazing looking. Absolutely. So did you end up um, going back and see it in the theaters again? Or what was I think we saw it three times. I mean, oh, wow. times for sure, but I think we saw it a third time because my family was very big on going to the movies. We went to the theater like three times a week. On Wednesdays, my dad would pull me out of school halfway and go, let's go see a movie. <laughs> and we just go watch movies. My childhood was filled with that, going to the theater all the time. Oh, wonderful. So did your love of Toy Story carry on throughout the rest of the films then? Uh, yes, I, I saw the second one in theaters. When it came to like the 2010s and to now, I didn't see as many animated movies in the theaters, but my love for Toy Story came through. I watched them all when they hit DVD and Blu-ray. I've struggled, like, uh, I would think that I would put one, three, four, and two. I think that'd be my ranking of them. Oh, wow. I enjoy all. Oh, yeah, we I have, have very, very different, different rankings. rankings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have very <laughs> different rankings for most people. But, yeah, I, I love the Toy Story franchise. I really do. My first memories of Toy Story is a little bit more fuzzy. I seem to be picking a lot of movies from the 90s as I kick off this podcast. I've picked Aladdin 92, Nightmare 93, Hercules 97, and now Toy Story 95. So a lot of my memories are a little bit fuzzy. I do remember this coming out. More so because, as you mentioned, the, the products around it. You had Woody and Buzz Lightyear toys coming out or Slinky Dogs and hand figurines. Like it, They talk about Batman and Robin being for kids. Like You can't yeah. say Toy Story is not as well. Like, they really converted <laughs> those products. Um, and I remember being given like the CD soundtrack and things like that. So I don't have a first memory of the film. I've just got general memories around, around it being released and being a big deal. That's fair. So, and like, it was always one that would you would watch on VHS, you would watch it at school, you would watch it at friends' places. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely made the rounds a lot on TV, things like that. So it's just that, that common consciousness type deal. Oh, yeah. I remember field trips of just having the little tiny screens up and they would show Toy Story. They'd show Bugs Life. Like, I, those are a lot of my memories of watching those through field trips, for sure. How did you feel about Pixar as a studio before sort of being taken over by Disney? Like, because I remember back in the 90s days of going on like the websites and the Pixar website had A Bug's Life and Toy Story and it just feeling very different to Disney. Like it, it was distinct. Oh, yeah. They were definitely trying to make a distinction as their own thing. And I think they were doing a good job. Like I am one of the few that really love A Bug's Life, especially like that is so in the top five of mm. Pixar. I love that movie so much. And it could be because of the 90s feel. Yes. But um, I love the direction they were going because I was still into Disney. But I think early 90s Disney was better than uh, later 
90, like the late 90s Disney. I think they were stronger in the beginning. And I think Pixar took that second half and made it a lot better. And I think that's where the switch for me happened from Disney to Pixar was the early 90s and uh, late 90s for sure. Yeah, and it's not just the animation styles being different. It's the tone of the films. Whereas a lot of those Disney 90s movies, I love it to death, but you got all those big musical moments and uh, more serious fairy tale vibes, whereas Pixar is doing really hitting on the comedy and things like that. During this watch, I couldn't believe how many funny, witty, well, well, the script was just brilliant. Like, and that's not what you were getting as much. You were still getting funny moments in the Disney movies, but it wasn't, like you said, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, where they're really doing the yuck yucks in it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that supporting cast of Toy Story just hits it on all fronts. Absolutely. Talk about the voice cast, like amazing. Yeah. It's my favorite part because you'll see. So, Mike, what's your favorite scene in the film? Is there any moment you remember seeing in the theater where you're like, this is, this is amazing, or a moment that stuck out in particular? Oh, my favorite scene of that, which kind of works with me from being the horror guy, is when they go into Sid's, when they end up in Sid's room and all like the disfigured toys start coming at them and uh, Buzz and Woody don't really know what to do at this moment. And then it, and then you figure out that they're not bad. They are just, they've messed up because Sid. So now they just, you know, they're just trying to survive. And I just love that moment. That entire scene is so great is they come together and they figure out the only way we're getting out of this is we have to mess with Sid. We have to find a way to mess with Sid. I love that you bring that up because in my notes it goes, Mike, as a horror guy, what do you think of this scene? That is my favorite scene of the movie. Towards the ending of it, of where they actually confront Sid, I love their plan of confronting Sid is having all the toys in the backyard and then Woody just spins his head like the exorcist. (laughs) Just gets him and scares him. And then you look at Sid and you go, this kid's going to become a serial killer if he continues the route he's going. He's 100%. But then Woody stops that in his tracks just by doing that. Watching that the other night, I was like, that is so creepy. I can't believe that's not one of the things that's like burned into my brain, like the Willy Wonka boat scene. Like that's on that level. (laughs) Because your toys coming to life, how freaky would that be? It's a dream if you've been nice to them and they they want to talk back to you and things like that. We've all had those things where like, oh God, I wish my action figures would be able to move themselves and (laughs) talk back to say action figures, (laughs) not dolls. I didn't have dolls, so... Um, But if imagine if they like these are sentient beings, this is like a mini Chucky situation almost. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. I love that scene of death, and I also love, uh, which is kind of a sad moment, but I also love the montage of uh, Woody and um, Andy, like uh, playing together and stuff like that, and then switches to Buzz, and everything starts switching over to Buzz Lightyear stuff, and you see Woody's face drop. And that's what I love mainly about Toy Story is the animosity he has towards Buzz, but it turns into one of the greatest friendships because of that. So um, my favorite scene I'm going to pick is Andy's birthday party at the beginning. I'll say starting from when Ham is sitting on the window and shouts they're here and you see all the kids start to arrive because it's just that that good sense of um, world building that's happening here where you see that the toys have 
thoughts, feelings, responses, things like that, that when they're seeing these kids start rolling in and just the dread they're feeling of these presents coming in and starting to feel replaced and what's new and the fear of the something different, I think that that's very well done. And it highlights all the different personalities of the toys that you're getting. You get oh, yeah. good lines from Ham, good lines from Mr. Potato Head. So much Rex, like his nerves and anxiety just shines through. Well, Sean and that performance, I just love it. It's it's never grating, which I think is is very well tightrope because I think that can be a character that could get on your nerves, but he's just so endearing. So oh, Rex, Rex, yeah. Rex is amazing. <laughs> So all the toys are freaking out. You see the kids bringing the boxes and they're getting bigger and Slink points out, oh, there's a small one there. <laughs> Turns to the side and it's massive. <laughs> so just those little sight gags, things like that. The other part of that is that it's a prime example of Woody being a leader and what the power dynamics of the room are. You see that he's the one that keeps his cool. He's the one that formulates the plan with the army men to go on a reconnaissance mission. And everyone turns and, oh, that's losing your noodle, Woody. Thanks, Woody, things like that. You really see how they defer to him to make those decisions and and lead the group. And, yeah, so it's a good... And it it shows a little bit of an ego with him of how he's known as, like, the top toy. And that's what I love, how it transcends throughout the movie is that ego he finally gets they both get hit their egos definitely take a drop throughout this movie but they come together because of their both similarities and differences absolutely so the army men are going out for their mission and the small touches of the way they move because they've got the board on the feet so <laughs> the way right. they, they shuffle from side to side it's just those little very clever touches you can tell these are people that played with these toys and really took the time and care to think about how are they going to move and what are they going to do and the way they use their tools like the binoculars and the parachutes it is like a child's fantasy coming to life because that's what we imagine is happening when we play with these toys that 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 is their point of view it's a very good grounding of that pixar creative imagination that we've come to know the studio for oh agreed 100 percent you see Andy's mum come out of the kitchen and step on it and every parent's going to be in that theatre going, yep, tell that kid to pick up those toys. <laughs> like, it's like stepping on Lego. Everyone's done it. Everyone's yeah. stepped on those little army men with the little bayonets and things like that and it breaks off. But then to see the response from the toys, see it from their point yes. of view, when it's, it turns into a war movie and there's no soldier left behind and, and they bring him over. <laughs> so great. Again, from that point of view, really showcasing the point of view of the toys and getting us from their perspective is, is fantastic. Oh, yeah. See them get the walkie-talkie and hide it into the plant and you get that yes, star right. roll, rolling down the hall like Indiana Jones. So you know <laughs> someone on that staff like Indiana Jones is like, let's do that. Let's do an homage to that. 100%, yeah. <laughs> We see the toys being radio communicated, what's happening in the party then. And I just find so much humour and really thoroughly enjoy this scene because it, it's, it's, it reminds me of like being on the phone with your friends almost and someone's describing what's happening and you can't see it, but you've just got to imagine it's like old timey radio. It's that sort of thing. Oh, You're not yeah. getting the vibes. And so to see the people's reactions, great. So Mr. Potato Head, Mrs. Potato, Mrs. Potato Head, <laughs> he's just, so excited <laughs> and then Rex freaks more... out what is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it builds that suspense 
the, the the examples of the gifts they give, like a lunchbox and bed sheets with Mr. Potato go- Head going, who invited that kid? Yeah. <laughs> that is such a child's point of view. You get bed sheets and go, oh, but now as an adult, I'm like, yes, something I don't have to buy myself. <laughs> I'd be stoked to get bed sheets nowadays. And uh, at the end, it's last present, it's a board game, and there's just that big collective sigh of relief. So again, being put in the toy shoes of what are their very human fears and emotional responses to what's happening to them. Because this must be happening every birthday, every Christmas, every time um, you you are getting gifts, the fear of being replaced, the fear of what is coming into the bedroom now is, is just very relatable. Oh, 100%. And I love how that transcends to the ending of them at Christmas. And yes. then having to deal again with the aftermath of Christmas. Is there anything that could be worse than you, Buzz, and it's a dog? <laughs> yeah. Very clever. <laughs> so uh, you, they think they're out of the woods, but then Andy's mum brings out the toy of the moment and it's Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. It's the shiny new hot toy. And I think I like this because it's the catalyst for change in the movie. Nothing is ever the same in this toy's lives after Buzz Lightyear is introduced. Oh, yeah, 100%. Everybody, every single toy changes the way they react with Buzz there. Mike, are there any other scenes that stand out to you from the film? Um, it would be, oh, do you know what? Um, it's a slinky moment when they are um, trying to make up, make up to the moving truck. Mm-hmm. And, and it's at that moment where they're still kind of, they're still angry at Woody because yes. of the Buzz situation. But then they see that they are on the little RC car together. And then you see Slinky come out and jump and they hold on to him while they're trying to climb up Slinky and all get him up there. I love that moment so much because it's finally them all coming together as a group. It's, it's no longer just Woody and Buzz together. It's now all the toys finally together on the same page for the first time in the movie since the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's great to see that camaraderie and sort of what we come to expect moving forward throughout the films of all these toys really banding together. And being a family, being a makeshift family. And the action and animation of it is really well done as well. Oh, yeah. For being the first, like, big Pixar movie, it's crazy how well they do. The only thing that um, is funny to look at now that they've definitely changed is when all the kids come together. It's all Andy. It's all (laughs) Andy's face is coming in there. It's so hilarious to see because you can understand why they did that. It's the first time they're doing it. It would take so long to animate all those faces. And they went, let's just put it on all of them. You know, no kids are going to notice it. And I honestly didn't notice it until I was older. (laughs) I'm exactly the same because when they, I noticed it when they did the side by shots, side shots of Andy, you know, from what they can do now to what they did in 95. I have a similar feeling with The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You cannot tell me those N64 graphics do not look absolutely banging in my head. Like they still look pristine but when you see the comparison <laughs> it's it's so bad but in oh, my head and so and, and it's it's the same with Toy Story as we were just saying like it lives in that in that memory of when you first seen it so it still looks looks amazing oh yeah you ain't never had a friend like me Mike who's your favorite character from the film favorite character has always been to me Woody I, I love Woody to death like the way he plays him the direction his character go through goes through in this film especially I just love the transition he goes through from being that little egotistical nice cowboy figure but still he's kind of a dick <laughs> like he has that he has that side of him that's kind of a dickhead especially when Buzz comes in because he kind of feels that 
like animosity towards him that you're going to like he goes this is like the top alpha again coming in against me and again throughout that like first half of that movie he is a major dick to buzz and buzz it really isn't really a dick back to him he just doesn't understand what's going on <laughs> he, yes. he has no meaning of what a toy is so it's woody coming through that and then become finally becoming friends with buzz and seeing him as how he should as just another toy as a friend and then his transition from that to how he acts towards like little bo peep and Rex and stuff like that when they start not liking him, especially Mr. Potato Head. It seems like Mr. Potato Head's always had a little issue with Woody, and it finally comes out <laughs> when he sees how he deals with Buzz. <laughs> like, they have a little animosity towards each other, too, and it's hilarious to see. But I've always loved um, Tom Hanks as Woody. He's amazing. I've loved him throughout the entire series. That's always been my favorite character. Yeah, the, um, the delivery that he has as Woody, the passion the dynamics that he uses in his voice, it sounds cliche, but brings it to life. Yes. He brings that toy <laughs> to life. He puts so much feeling in it and it's it's masterful. I love that you bring up that Woody's just not the nicest throughout this film because <laughs> the Toy Story films, it's such a saga now and you have the shorts and it's a big property and it's hard to untangle your feelings um, to each individual movie, I find, at yeah. the moment, especially oh, yeah. because coming off the sequel in 99 so those are quite close together and and as I said watching on VHS and things like that I'm very glad they did the sequel because that's where my affection for Woody and Buzz grew because you you do have to see that character development in the film first but I like that you get to enjoy those characters a little bit more later on if that makes sense like yes like when they're actually friends and you can see them they've had some time together and yes. then you introduce that new group in the second one. And then you get to see from both their perspectives how they deal with a new group of characters. I love that dynamic like that. Yes. So you do have to sow those seeds in this film first, which is great. Yes. But I do like to, to see that, that afterwards. I go between Ham and Mr. Potato Head as my favorites from the film. I think I just, they give me Cliff and Norm vibes and not just because the John yes. Ratzenberger, but <laughs> just that those very interesting side characters. And both delivery from John Ratzenberger and Don Rickles in this film is just just fabulous, great lines. For this film, I'm going to go with Mr. Potato Head. And yeah. it is for some of the reasons you just touched on. <laughs> it's, it's the lines that he brings out, like, look, I'm a Picasso. It's great. The, uh, that's Mr. Potato Head to you. The weightlifting scene where his arms pop out. <laughs> yeah. Seeing the creative way that they use all his different props and things like that he pops out his eyeballs and lifts them up oh that sounded really grim um (laughs) to lift them up over his head to see out the window or at the end of the film a mrs potato heads announced it's like oh i've got a shave just pops the mustache off (laughs) because it is a toy that is name brand and and has prior recognition from the film so to see it used in a way that we would use a Mr. Potato Head doll is just fantastic. And you have those scenes of him. I think he really shines in the scenes uh, with him and Woody having those moments. So Woody pushes Buzz out the window and he really puts yes. the screws to him. Like he oh, really yeah. gets up him about it. <laughs> and, and he's the one that's keeping the pressure on throughout the rest of the film. He sort of becomes the de facto leader. In oh, a 100%. Yeah. I don't think it's a power grab. No. It doesn't come off that way. But like you said, there is that little bit of animosity and he does have that little bit of pushback. So he just wants 
everyone else to be safe, I think, and just wants to do right and is pointing out what's what's wrong and doesn't want a trader to come back. So I think it comes from a place of caring. It doesn't come from a place of um, being aggressive, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. I, I definitely think it's because he knows that they do need a leader at this moment to figure mm-hmm. out how to get, but how to, like, in a way, discipline Woody while not being the power grabber, as you described it. I 100% think it's coming out of love that he's doing it because he wants to protect the rest of the toys from Woody, who he thinks is killing toys at this point. <laughs> One of my honorable mentions is Mrs. Nesbitt. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Mrs. Nesbitt is her own character. I really because the line that slayed me is like, I'm having tea with Marie Antoinette and her sister. <laughs> That, that line got me. The, the use of adult humour in the film is something Pixar starts to become very well known with and carries on, I think, is very influential to movies like Shrek and DreamWorks and so forth. I think this it's oh, yeah. the groundwork's laid here. 100%. There's a lot of adult, like adult humour mixed with child humour and they do it so well that as a child, you can't tell the difference at all. You're just laughing at everything that's going on. And... Um, as you grow older and you start to see those, that's how the enjoyment comes back. Like I can understand why, uh, like Tim, his favorite movie is Monsters, Inc. I can completely get that. There's a lot of adult humor that you can relate to with that child humor and the nostalgia factor of seeing it as a kid come together. What are your thoughts and feelings on Buzz Lightyear? Oh, I love Buzz Lightyear as well. Buzz Lightyear is such a great character. Tim Allen plays him so well. I love the aspect of him thinking he is an actual space ranger that he's not an actual toy. And then his like, little depression period of him becoming Mrs. Nesbitt, because he's gone completely insane. <laughs> he just doesn't know how to deal with life at this moment. His arm is gone. Like he's just, he just wants to live with the disfigured toys and just sit there. He doesn't want to deal with life anymore. He's done with life. And what he kind of brings tea. him back. <laughs> yeah. And I love his, I, I love how he transcends past the first film into the other films and how his leadership role coincides with the Woodies and how they come together and use their different styles together. Like the whole flying sequence in the first one where Woody pushes him and he goes, you can't fly. Like you're a toy. And he goes, let me show you. And it's just by the luck of the draw, he hits the spinning fan and he spins around and it just hyphens the fact that he thinks that he's real and he's not a toy. Oh, it, it's so interesting to watch as, as an adult because I don't think it's something I super picked up on as kid that that was his worldview, basically, that he thought it was a toy. I thought, you know, he's just being a bit funny. But as an adult, you're like, no, you really do think you're one way and being perceived as another way by other people. Yeah. So Woody really goes in on him, though. You oh, are yeah. a toy. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm watching this like in, with my 2020 eyes. I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't, that, I don't think that flies nowadays. No. He, he pushes him to the limit on a lot of stuff. Yeah, because Buzz is just there like minding his own business, like <laughs> trying to get back to his planet sort of thing. Yeah, that's all he wants to do. He doesn't want to take over the toys. He just wants to go home. I wonder when Andy's playing with him, what he thinks. Because that's something like Woody and everyone else knows they're being played with. But for a good chunk of the first part of the movie, Buzz still thinks he's the Buzz Lightyear. And And they never really show the scenes by himself with the exception of that montage of him flying around. So we never get to actually see what it would feel like for him as a character to be played with. That is, yeah, yeah, that's a very good point to bring up. (laughs) 
you see he doesn't have his helmet taken off, just those little touches like that. He thinks his laser's real. It, it's great because, as, as I've touched on before, when you're playing with these toys, these are the things that you believe are happening. Oh, yeah. You, you believe that your toys, like, everyone's had a toy with, like, that little red light-up bulb and think that it's actually working. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything about the rest of the supporting characters? Uh, little Bo Peep is probably the one yep. that doesn't really like she she has a lot more to do in like the sequels and stuff like that this one she has that little dynamic between Woody and Buzz again where she's clearly fallen for Woody but then when Buzz comes around it's that new toy factor and she starts yes. kind of falling for him a little bit and it kind of delves with the dynamic of the three of them which I think is interesting that is really played with in the fourth one especially yes. like the third and fourth one they play with that dynamic between her and um uh, woody especially which i really like seeing the loyalty displayed by Bo and slinky towards woody is really yes. great to see you get their real deep sense of friendship between them because Bo has that moment where she talks off screen like i just want woody to be safe or come home cowboy or something like that and Slink as well, when he's, we believe you, Woody, like they are very yeah. on his side. And, and that's great to see that, 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 that loyalty there. Oh, 100%. That there is a small group that still supports Woody, even though they at this point think that he's a mass murderer. Buzz, he takes <laughs> out his arm too. Like that moment of that window of his arm. Here, I got Buzz right here. It's only his arm hanging out. <laughs> As you said, I do love that they um, give Annie Potts so much more to work with with Bo Peep in the yes. fourth one, like because she is unfortunately the main character's girlfriend in this one. That's the only vibe you yeah. get from her. But I like that they do develop her out to be so much more, and her character arc is I love it. That that's what makes Toy Story four for me for sure. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because in the second one, it's more about Jesse. Jesse becomes. Yes the new female character. And the third one, they both share a couple good scenes together, but that fourth one is Bo Peep's film. That is her film to shine for sure. One song. I have put one song. So, Mike, what's your favourite song from the film? Oh, it's the most cliche (laughs) song in the world, but I insanely love it. You've got a friend in me. Like, it, it, it takes everything that I love about movies in general outside of Toy Story, which is the friendships. That's why I grow towards like Goonies and Stand By Me. And this one is that it's all about the friendships that you have those friends of yours and you just love them to death and you'll do anything for them. And that I that song hits me every time because it's a great song to have in that film. It, it sums up their relationships perfectly. It, it is the song that is most synonymous with the films and is almost like the Pixar anthem in general. Oh, yeah. Like you hear that, that little melody and it's been covered many times and referenced a lot. So it is hard for it not to be the favourite song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, it's kind of... Yeah, that melody starts playing and it, it's so simple and the words are very simple but relatable. Yeah. So the, the partnership of Randy Newman and Pixar that that kicks off here is just so well done because it is for children, but it has those deeper meanings and that's just epitomises what's happening in the film. My favourite line would be when the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles when you're nice warm bed. You just remember what your old pal said, you've got a friend (laughs) in me. That imagery is so straightforward and 
it's, it's just so relatable. Like everyone feels like they've been miles from their bed and is just struggling and pushing and things like that. So to have that support is yeah. is phenomenal. And the the warmth and tone that Randy Newman's delivering it with is great. Oh, 100%. Uh, he he kills that song and that's why it's one of the most still most known songs of Pixar today it's just so extraordinary I like that you touch on the different levels of friendship as well because I've seen this song covered by like um dads and daughters couples best friends like I've seen it on Triple J they did a like a version rap of it which was great um just the different ways you can take this song and apply it because friendship is the underlying groundwork for all relationships that should be. Oh, so yeah. it, it's just applicable to everything and it's, it's great. It's, it's universal. I think we're right in saying, I was going to phrase the question as what is your favorite song and why is it you've got a friend in me? <laughs> but we do, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do need to touch on the other two really biggies in the film. Strange Things we talked earlier about that scene of change with yes. everything changing from Woody to Buzz. So while I don't think it's the most dynamic, interesting song, the way it's melded with the imagery of what's happening on screen is great and really showing us from Woody's point of view how he's handling it all. So um, we see Buzz Lightyear crashing his rocket and that's exactly what Randy Newman sings in the song. So we see, see that scene happen now all of a sudden strange things are happening to Woody. You see the posters change, then the bedspread. It's just that it's sudden but creeping at the same time in a weird way. It yeah, It's a sudden change, but it's building from the walls to then the bedspread where he's already said, this is my spot. Yes. So for the covers to come and infiltrate his space, his area, very personal. It's very personal to him. So Oh yeah, you feel for Woody. With that song, you 100% feel for Woody during that entire montage scene. Yes. You, everyone can feel that at some point in the life of, in a way, something or someone taking over what you once loved or what you once connected with and them either be it a person or an, an object, whatever it may be, and how that affects you emotionally. Absolutely. I will go sailing no more. If I'm, I'm trying not to pick songs as my favorite scenes because that's just, that's just an easy giveaway. Yeah. But if I could, this is this is the scene. I watched this November and then yesterday. This is the scene that now as an adult that floods me with emotion and I find the absolute most interesting from the film. I don't remember seeing it as as a kid, like this moment standing out. I think a child point of view sees it as maybe Buzz isn't being himself and, oh, yeah, that's sad that he's broken. But as an adult, it symbolises when your worldview is completely broken down and the things that you thought are true are actually false and you don't know who you are anymore. And it is brutal. It is so brutal, brutal, brutal to watch, to see Buzz be told by Woody, you're a toy, you can't fly, you can't do this. And then he sees the ads on the TV and it's like, what am I? No, I can't fly. I did it before. And to try, to try your absolute hardest and fall down is so hard yeah. to see. And the, the way that they break him on the floor and they do that aerial shot pan down with Randy Newman saying, I will go sailing no more. Oh, it hits me so hard now. 
Yeah, he is just done. Like that is the limit of his character, and it's just his mind is just gone at that point. He just he's lost. He doesn't know what he or who he is anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he becomes Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this he can do at this point. Today, I can yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the song part of that, the lyrics are great, and the almost heroic anthem that that music punctuates and when he starts to fly to then go so soft and so quiet um yeah it's just great oh yeah great great story work oh i want to know and i love like that's what pixar and disney in general have always done pretty well is they mix their songs in with the story and they mesh so well together they tell a specific theme or story by themselves with just the songs and it works so well visually there's not a lot of songs that feel superfluous or just just put in for the sake of being put in or yes. that isn't moving something along. Yeah, exactly. Listen well, all of you. So, Mike, what's your favourite quote from the film? Okay, so mine is a uh, two-parter. Basically, it's a conversation between Buzz and Woody, which, <laughs> again, it mixes in with one of my favourite scenes, which is Buzz goes... I set my laser from stun to kill and Woody goes, oh, great. If anyone attacks, we can blink them to death. Like it just shows their dynamic together. It, like that, that one, two lines right there just completes their dynamic throughout the entire film of Buzz thinks everything's real and Woody's there to ground him. Like just going, yes. you're an idiot and we're going to die here because, <laughs> because you're such a moron. You don't know what to do anymore. It, it does harken back to like those great comedy duos of like you've got someone setting it up and someone giving the punchline, that yes. sort of thing. It's it's great. The the humor in the script, especially from that when they're playing off of that dynamic of Buzz doesn't know what's happening and Woody does, they they really do mind that very well. Yes. Uh, are there any other quotes that stood out to you? Um, it would be the um, uh, one that we mentioned earlier, which is Rax freaking out, going what is it what is it and he just messes everything up because that in itself just shows who rex is and he's just that neurotic toy that is so freaked out by everything that he just can't get a handle on any situation sometimes it's not just what the words are it's it's the delivery of it and the, the context behind it that really make that the favorite quote and how applicable that is i like when you can take those things like that and apply it to like any everyday situation like when you can take the quotes from the film and, and melt into your everyday life. I, I like that. Uh, this was very hard for me to pick out some favourite quotes of any movie so far because there were so many. Sometimes quotes is the category I might struggle with. There might be some very instantly thought of ones and other times it, it depends on how I'm feeling and where you are in life. I think the different things can hit you. Um, yeah. I picked four today. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm no, greedy. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, I'll break it and I've broken it down into two categories. Quotes I like because of world building and quotes I think that are just great comebacks. I like the, that. The two quotes I like for world building, I, I, I love beginnings of films and beginnings of series. Usually like a first film when a franchise will be my favourite or setting up things. That's, that's the part I really enjoy is being introduced to a world. So Woody's having the meeting and he's speaking into Mike and he goes, Tuesday night's plastic corrosion meeting was, I think, <laughs> a big success. And I want to thank Mr. Spell for putting that on for us. That really stood out to me because, 
at maybe I think it was like six or seven minutes into the film, very, very early on. That tells me everything I need to know about the world of these toys. It tells me that they have their own life. It tells me that they interact with um, the real life where they know what plastic corrosion is, that they're they're self-aware and things like that, that they're taking care of themselves, that they have these town meetings. It just, it, it sucks you in straight away. It's great world building. Oh, 100%. I agree. The other one I like, and very similar to yours with the Buzz Woody dynamic, Buzz Lightyear asks, do you guys use fossil fuels or crystallic fusion? And Woody replies, we have double A's. <laughs> <laughs> very, very similar to your pick where it's, it's melding that fantasy with bringing you back down to real life. It's the setup with Buzz with the bottom and the Woody going on the end of it. Uh, my favourite comebacks, because as, as we've been saying, just the, the humour in the film is great. A classic that wasn't flying, that's falling with style. Yes. <laughs> uh, the first time it's delivered by Woody and you can feel that jealousy, that envy and the spite in the undertone of it all. Yes. So to have it repurposed at the end of the film with Buzz Lightyear, it's the crux of the film, they're um, landing down in Andy's car and this isn't flying this is falling with style so as we talked about I will go sailing no more and seeing Buzz broken down and having his worldview change and his perspective the joy then is seeing him accept who he is now yes so to take back that phrase and find power and meaning in it so good so good oh 100% yeah it's one of those lines that circles back perfectly to be one of the biggest themes of the movie in general yes just great visualization of if you fall down pick yourself back up that sort of thing um i haven't mentioned it yet but how do you not say to infinity and beyond that's surpassed the film (laughs) that is just normal pop culture at this point you say that to anyone and they know what you're mentioning so oh 100 it's great uh, the other one that I'm surprised I don't hear more often is you're a sad, strange little man and you have my pity. <laughs> that is such a classic retort. You have Woody going off at Buzz. You are a toy. And he comes back so calm and collected and just the straight deadpan delivery of it. It's, it's a mic drop. Like there's no yes. follow-up to that. There is no... <laughs> You don't come back from that. You just walk away at that point if someone says that to you. It's so fantastic. It may, like it brings Buzz more like in the way he does that line, it's so dead man, but it brings him such joy because he knows he has him there. He knows he has him with the line that's gonna piss him off even more than he already is. And he has nothing he can say against. He can't, he can't do anything at that moment. We get it about halfway through the film. So as you said, up to this point, Woody's been at Buzz and Buzz really isn't responding. Yeah. So this is like the first time we sort of do see Buzz clap back, for better use of a term, um, at Woody. And it's not aggressive. It's just assertive in a way. Yes. This is your badness level. How evil is the villain? Okay, yeah. So Sid is 100% a serial killer in the making. He really is. He's an evil, he's an evil little boy. That man is just tearing towards the power. He's terrorizing his sister. Like he does everything he can. And the way he laughs when he's doing the stuff he does to those toys is so evil. 
And the only thing that stops a man from being truly evil is Woody becoming the little exorcist that he does to scare Jesus out of him (laughs) and get him to finally realize what he's been doing is wrong. But just him as a character in this movie up until that moment, he is an evil little bastard. He is. (laughs) Everything he does, even at Pizza Planet, the stuff he does there, he's like bashing the little toys. He's trying, and and then he's getting the little alien figures just to go home and tear them to pieces. You know, that's, and then he feeds them to his dog as well. Like, it's just insanity how evil this kid is. (laughs) No respect for property. No, not at all. (laughs) And you know it's going to turn into later in life what he could do issues like yes yeah i love that you bring up like the laugh because it's at the 25 minute mark that we're introduced to our antagonist and you hear that laugh and all the toys scatter they know what is coming they are so fearful um and we hear that he's been away but he's returned early so just all that all that fear we see that first scene might might be the most evil when he ties the combat car to the explosive he ties it to this massive firework and you just hear that explosion and you see it and it must be huge because it rattles the house it rattles the house and the camera and everything so i don't know how that's legal to some point (laughs) (laughs) and he's hiding behind a table and i don't know if that really would have protected you if it was yeah no not at all with that type of a hit no but just the absolute decimation of this toy like how could you not be a toy and see that and not be absolutely terrified yeah and you see that as an audience when you get to know these toys and then that mark hits and he does that you uh, you feel for these toys you feel that fear just going those toys can't really do anything to stop him <laughs> the use of scale and scope that they use for Sid's bedroom is fantastic. So yeah. we see everything from Woody and Buzz's point of view when they're running away from him. And you see Woody in the crate, seeing it from being so small on the ground and really looking up. Because if, if they didn't do that, you don't feel as, as threatened by Sid. Like, yeah, yeah, you go, oh, that kid's a dick or he's, he's evil and yeah. things like that. But to show us from what the toys are seeing, being so small, so helpless, Yes. not being able to do anything and looking up at just this giant it's a he's a giant coming in and torturing everyone it's terrifying and he has a t-shirt on and he it sums up who he is right there <laughs> but yeah very very creepy looking kid like yeah. oh everything around um the doctor part i like that you touch on as well because that's something else that just adds that mad frankenstein vibes yeah. to it when he's, um, he takes his little sister's doll and yeah, it's just, oh. Yeah, I don't have any siblings, but that gives me massive big brother energy right there. <laughs> oh, 100%, yeah, that's 100% what a big brother would do to torture his little sister. <laughs> but to take that doll and put it in the vice, the vice group I find terrifying yeah. as well. You just see it spin up. I'm like, oh, you feel that, that, that restraint. And to take the head off and then give it back to the little sister. And see, I had seen Casino at this point, and they do a vice move in that. So I already know what that was happening when I saw that little kid. I went, oh, they're doing it in this? What is going on? Oh, I do not have that point of reference, and I'm a little bit glad at this point. Yeah. uh, One of the positives that can come from Sid, though, is when he does burn, use the magnifying glass to burn Woody in the forehead. I've never pulled that move with toys. That, That terrifies me. 
but at least by doing that you're setting up for the end of the film when Woody can then use that to return to Andy so you're taking that negative and making it a positive and and you see that burn in the head throughout the rest of the film which is very surprising and good attention to detail oh yeah on a scale of one to ten how evil is it what do you give him a ranking I'll give him a nine mainly because it shows at the end like the way he gets scared I think it scared him into being good. And so that takes away that one level of being pure evil because he has like, it's just a kid and maybe he needed a moment like that to change his life around which he got. <laughs> so I'll give it a nine out of 10 of how evil he is. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned in an earlier episode when we did Nightmare Before Christmas that our main protagonist can be very selfish and do terrible things. But unlike Jack Skellington, Woody sort of knows what he's doing when he uses RC to push Buzz out the window. So I don't call it on the villain scale, but I want to highlight it in the section as we sort of talked about a little bit earlier because it's it's just rough behaviour to see. Oh, 100%. There's intention there. There's intention to do harm there. (laughs) Yeah, Woody has a little villain in him. And I think that's what makes like his three-dimensional character work so well is that he has that negative aspect to him that he learns from he definitely does and it's just that ego and that fear and everything just builds up and that's you know he he doesn't know what else to do so he, goes, do it? Oh, push. he definitely gets carried away <laughs> but the other part that kind of gives me the shivers is a little bit is that he starts denying it then because he wants yes. to remain in a positive light and his friends yes. so poor slink jumps to his aid straight away loyal man's best friend and to see him just straight up lie to Slinky. And yeah. then there's that scene when he's laying in the car and he's like, how do I convince them? Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but he does learn, he does grow, things like that. And there's got to be room for growth. You can't just write people off for that. So I, I do think that's great. And he does step up when he sees how important Buzz is to Andy. And yes. he really, truly loves Andy and just wants oh, to yeah, one hundred So yeah. it's great. Practically perfect in every way. Anything we haven't brought up yet? I think the big one is probably Pizza Planet. Yes. Pizza Planet is a great scene. Visually, Pizza Planet is awesome. (laughs) It looks so cool. And there's so much that happens with that in the story with that. That's the first time that Buzz and Woody are truly alone. And you get to see them with the alien. (laughs) With the little aliens and everything like that. And what happens with it. Because Buzz gets distracted because he sees the ship and he goes, Mm -hmm. I can find my way home. And they end up in that grabber, which I played that game so much as a little kid, grabbing all those stuffed animals. And I'm good at that, man. I never missed. I always was able to grab stuff out of there. (laughs) So it was so cool seeing that as a little kid, seeing the grabber moment, but then seeing Sid and you've seen a little alien going, I'm going home. <laughs> he, he thinks it's a happy moment. And you know as an audience, that alien is not coming back good. <laughs> I, I have the same in my notes. The location of Pizza Planet just really gives you that nostalgia watching it. Like, I didn't have a specific space-themed um, arcade pizzeria yeah. sort of thing, but it gives you the vibes of whatever was your local area that that was, whatever you had kids' birthday parties at. Usually, oh yeah, it, it gives you those vibes of, of getting cardboard pizza and playing those arcade games like the whack a mole and things like that. 
the other bit I liked in the Pizza Planet is the way they distributed the soda. Like yes. you would hold your cup up underneath. That's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really awesome. <laughs> uh, one thing I liked is that they play Hakuna Matata in the car at the end of the film. Yes. Great little crossover moment because <laughs> nowadays that's that's perfect synergy. That makes sense. Oh, but yeah. in 94, 95, that's two, not rival studios. They're still somewhat connected, but not in the sense of what it is now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So seeing that now is so entertaining to know that they were back then giving little nods to each other. And now, yeah, it's known throughout to do crossovers and stuff like that through different worlds. But back then, the only, like there were very few. Like you had the viewer skew of Kevin Smith doing it. But he at that point, there were only two movies. Mallrats came out 90... Actually, Mallrats... Wait, was Mallrats 95? Because Mallrats was 95, then the same year as Toy Story. So maybe it was only Clerks at that moment. But it's that same synergy of they love doing the... Disney and Pixar always love doing those little Easter egg moments. And that's what you look for when you watch those movies now. It's like watching an MCU movie. You look for those little Easter eggs that they're going to have in there of different characters or different themes from other movies. Absolutely on the same wavelength. The introduction of Pizza Planet and the Pizza Planet car that becomes Pixar stable. Yes. They've really trained you from this first movie to look for those Easter eggs. So you see the book titles on the shelves that are all the short stories. You see the red Pixar lamp. You see the Luxor yes. Bowl. You see Dinoco at the petrol station. That's, That's not right, one that yeah. makes sense on your first watch. But now no. after, what, 10 years later, seeing cars... <laughs> That all yeah. clicks in. Um, <laughs> we get the A113 license plate that, of course, is going to be in every movie. Al's Toy Barn, as an ad, is only something I picked yes. up this watch. So laying yeah, that, that groundwork for the next film. Yeah. Great. So just those, those hidden Easter eggs and meaningful things we look for now. I don't remember if they do one here of where they set up for the next film. Is there any Bugs Life in this, to your knowledge? Or do they start doing that later? I think they started doing that later from be hmm. like we watched it a couple of days ago. I don't remember seeing any bugs life. Neither do I. I don't remember reading anything, but if there is, let me know, listeners. Yeah. I need to know. Yes. One other point I thought was interesting is the way the, the specific scene at the petrol station bookends between this film and four. So Woody and Buzz are left at the petrol station and Woody exclaims, I'm a lost toy. And it is the absolute worst thing that could happen to him. He is distraught. So to see that come full circle to Toy Story 4 where he chooses to be a lost toy yes. and spend his time with Bo Peep and, and the other uh, crew finding toys a new home, I thought is just some brilliant payoff, like 25 years in the making. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's his character coming full circle of his growth. And it's so amazing to see that he no longer needs that assistance like he has with Andy. Because in a way, it's a, a little crutch for him. that like He always has Andy, and then he finally does not need that anymore. They really play on that throughout every single one of the films of him being Andy's toy. Yeah. He's, he's riding on the bottom of the, of the shoe. And, yes. and the jealousy, like when Buzz gets the same. And just, as you said, it is a crutch. It, it's, it's what he holds on to throughout. So to see... Just those little bit of breadcrumbs sprinkled here. I don't know if that's intentional or whether they've just watched it again and, and decided to pick up on that, but I think it's it's brilliant. Oh, 100%. Mike, what's your rating of the film? 
Oh, rating is five out of five. I, I love this film to death. It's it's my favorite Pixar film. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely up there. Um, I like that you gave your rankings earlier. I'm uh, I go back and forth on the Toy Story series. I can't pick pick a one to four. Probably four at at the bottom, just because I saw a great meme the other day. Someone's like, "This is the trilogy, and this is the epilogue," and I think that's a nice yes. way to think about it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The third is just such a great ending that mm-hmm. even announcing the fourth, you're just going, what can they do after the third? Well, like the third one finishes it so beautifully and so perfectly. What can they do? And they do a great job with it. But it is like an epilogue. Like you said, it is like just a, another post credit moment for them. This is what happens in the life after the greatest ending that you could have for those characters. Absolutely. So I, I rank this one very high as well. It, it grows for me every time I watch it. So it's very funny. A lot of these 90s movies, I feel very rooted in nostalgia and these would be my favorites forever. But Toy Story was never my movie. I always preferred two. I think I'll still prefer two. I, ah, I just, okay. I like the story a bit more. And I'm surprised that that's a shared opinion nowadays because that that never used to be the girl I feel oh yeah um, no two was always outlined as like the third best out yeah of three but so. it's it, maybe that's just the one that I grew up on the most on VHS that's the one I've rewatched the most I like Jesse Bullseye all those characters so but Toy Story 1 I think because of how almost very unlikable Woody and Buzz are throughout the film I think I felt a little bit distanced but now that's watched, completely fair yeah yeah as a child at least but now as an adult uh, this is the second time I've watched it in like two three months so I'm really <laughs> I'm really on the train now <laughs> I'm enjoying it <laughs> um Mike thank you so much for joining me today I've had yeah, thank you for having oh, I'll have to have you back sometime thank you yes definitely I would love that thank you and when you come to the end <laughs> stop Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod.